0: Hey, Postmortem
1: fans, producer Joe Russo here. Last month, one of Mick's most beloved creative endeavors celebrated its 15th anniversary, and we wanted to do something special to commemorate it. When I attended the International Horror and Sci-Fi Film Festival in Tempe, Arizona in 2005, I caught my first episode of Masters of Horror, Dance of the Dead, directed by the late, great Toby Hooper, who I had the chance to meet after the screening. What I didn't know at the time was the show's creator, Mick Garris, was showcasing Masters of Horror at film festivals and genre conventions around the world, building the hype for this once-in-a-lifetime collaboration between horror legends, and rightfully so. Masters of Horror lived up to its name, not just in premise, but in execution. The Showtime series allowed Mick to curate stories from some of his favorite filmmakers working in the genre, giving them the opportunity to tell their stories the way they wanted to tell them free from notes and creative interference. Because of that, many of these legends delivered some of their best work in recent memory, and we, the viewers, reaped the rewards. And the legacy of Masters of Horror continues to this day. In 2005, Mick brought the dark genre of horror to television uncut and unfettered, paving the way for it to grow, flourish, and mature. Without Masters of Horror, who knows how long it would have been before we saw the likes of beloved television series as macabre, and scary as American Horror Story, The Walking Dead, or The Haunting of Hill House. And, on a more personal note, without Masters of Horror, I certainly wouldn't have had the chance to help Mick produce its spiritual successor, the critically acclaimed Nightmare Cinema. While the history and fate of Masters of Horror has been well documented on this podcast and past AMAs, to celebrate its anniversary, we thought you should hear it from the Masters themselves. This series was born out of the renowned Masters of Horror dinners Mick put together. These special gatherings let some of horror's greatest luminaries break bread, commiserate, and talk shop, and, having been to the last in-person gathering before the pandemic myself, I can confirm they're as amazing as you've imagined. That's why we recorded the audio from last month's Digital Masters Dinner at Nightstream, where Mick was awarded the Overlook Film Festival's Masters of Horror Lifetime Achievement Award so we could give our listeners a peek behind the curtain of these special nights. Not only will you get to hear about the experience of making Masters of Horror from some of the directors who helped bring Mick's seminal series to life, but you'll get to hear what their relationship with Mick means to them. So, without further ado, here's John Carpenter, Joe Dante, Mike Flanagan, John Landis, Axel Carolyn, Ernest Dickerson, Bill Malone... Tommy McLaughlin, and Tom Holland, all celebrating Masters of Horror, and, even more importantly, our host, Mick Garris.
2: We will have a couple more folks joining in just a bit, but uh, all of you are, of course, here uh, for somebody whose career spans from amazing stories to Critters 2, to Psycho 4, to Sleepwalkers, Riding the Bullet, uh, an incredible collection of stories, including his latest novel, These Evil Things We Do, uh, and a person who has been so generous of his time to the filmmakers, the horror community, uh, and to festival programmers everywhere? Uh, we've had the great honor of having him present this award to many others, and it is long overdue that we that we gave it to him. Again, I said nobody embodies uh, the community community and championing of this genre more so than this uh, uh, this man. It is our great great privilege to present him with our Master of Horror Award, Mr. Mick. Garis, everyone.
3: There he is. Thank now you so I've... much.
4: Thank you to all of you. And thank you so much for, for showing up at this humble gathering here. All of my friends whose shadows I, I stand beneath. And uh, thank you for being here. And thank you, Landon. Thank
2: you, Mick. Now, before we go any further... It is our honor to give you this great, great award. I've got it just off screen here. Uh, So let me just get it and please take it.
4: Wow. (laughs) Now, look at that. Isn't that awesome? The miracle of Zoom. I was so lucky to give one to Roger Corman and one to Stuart Gordon, and I coveted it. And now I have my own and it's... uh, it's pretty, amazing. Wow. And it's really heavy and it uh, uh, can probably be good for shaving too. And you don't have to take it on the airplane when you go back to home. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like you did, Joe. Yeah,
5: no.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be tough to check through customs or anything. Well, Thank you so much, everybody, for, for, for being here. This is really an honor and it's one of my favorite festivals in the world. Um, and it means a lot and it's it's not like any of the other festivals and and to just be a part of it for several years is has been fantastic and to be a recipient is even more so
5: well deserved well deserved
6: yes sir Congratulations. Well,
2: in order to uh congratulate you we'll let our guests do that one by one uh, and say a few words in your honor, because you don't get off uh, that easy with just an award. Uh, everybody here would like to toast you. Uh, so let us please start with Mr. Joe Dante.
7: Well, I, I knew Mick when he was a lowly publicist. <laughs> and uh, But I, I don't use the word lowly lightly because he, he wasn't just a publicist, he was a fan. And everything that he was working on, and this was like, I think 1980 or so, um he was he was a fan and he loved this stuff and he would he, he it was with incredible enthusiasm that he would set up all of this publicity for these various pictures and 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 when he was working at afco embassy he was the publicist on the howling and um was so enthusiastic and so helpful um and you know uh, i i mean to me he was like just it was this other kid who was was a kid to me because he was a lot younger than me and somehow still is. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, you know, over the years, uh, we uh, became friends. And um, when uh, I did an, an episode of Amazing Stories, uh, Mick uh, had written the script for uh, the uh, episode I did, and uh, which was a very odd episode, which I won't go into. But... Um, <laughs> Over the years, uh, I I think aside from just being a friend and being a a movie fan and being very talented, um, his entrepreneurship has been amazing to me. I mean, Mick created out of whole cloth, the whole Masters of Horror concept. I mean, first he initiated the dinners, which everybody, you know, whenever there was enough people in town who liked Mick making these kind of films, uh would be together he would he would you know we'd go to some restaurant and we'd all be there and we'd grouse about how badly the the industry was treating us and um and uh, and we all got to know each other we got people that we wouldn't ordinarily have run into because in the film business you know you don't ordinarily run into other people because you're on your set you're doing your stuff um you you can't make friends that easily because you're so busy but Mick put all these people together, and many of them became very friendly. Uh, and when it finally came time to him for him to realize his dream, which was, I want to put together a series where all these guys will get to do films uh, in, in a series. I think he originally thought of it as a, a theatrical series, but then it ended up being a cable series, um, which ran for two seasons. Uh, and everybody got to do essentially whatever they wanted to do uh, it, there were no strictures there was no I mean Showtime said no male nudity you know and some stuff like that but but basically you could choose whatever you wanted and I got to do some far- out political stuff that I couldn't have done for anybody else and um, and and so Mick became an aggregator I mean he was sort of a mini Roger Corman in the way that he sort of put together a whole lot of people who could you know, had an aegis to do stuff. And, uh, and that was in addition to the fact that he was also writing, he was also directing. Uh, I think the, the picture he wrote, Hocus Pocus, was like number two or number one two weeks ago in the COVID era movie uh, um, list of what's making money. Um, and, you know, he's never, any he, plus he's a novelist. I mean, the guy is, he's like a quadruple thread. Uh, and plus, he's got a really cute wife. So you know, oh, I mean, wow. he's, he's he's really he's he's one of my best friends, and I, I have always um, valued the, all the, uh, the, the the stuff he's added to my life and the opportunities he's given me. And um, I think uh, I think he he has a lot of people who um, can say the same thing about him. Thank you, Joe.
2: Thank you, Joe. Uh, Axel.
8: Yay. Well, congratulations, Mick, first of all.
4: Thank
8: you. I've known Mick since 2004, I think, quite a long time. And while the majority of the people here have known him as, like Joe mentioned, as a fan or publicist who has uh, built up his career to being a filmmaker. I've known him being on the other side where I've met Mick when he was an accomplished filmmaker and I was a, a reporter for Fangoria and I was just eager to know everything about filmmaking and, and about the industry. And uh, and Mick has always been incredibly generous with his time and with his friendship and has taken a lot of time like just telling me about what the business is like and what the industry is like and what filmmaking is like and giving me kind of a sense of the reality of the life of a filmmaker. He's always been incredibly um, passionate about things and very um, keen to pass on the wisdom about everything and watching every horror movie that comes out and commenting on every horror movie that comes out, which always leads to great debates. We've even been on the juries of some festivals where we got to discuss some films and generally agree, but sometimes absolutely not um which was really fun and so we've had long conversations about the industry over the years like first when i lived in london it was through emails and then i moved to los angeles and i got to meet cynthia and have lunch with cynthia and nick and and then go have big hikes where we would talk about you know the latest film that were projects that nick was working on and then i would tell him about the things that i was trying to put together and he was one of the very first people to watch my first feature soulmate and i still remember getting the phone call from Mick and Cynthia. And that movie was made for nothing. And he was incredibly encouraging and supportive. And I remember you said, Mick, that this was not, this was a mature work that was not the work of someone who always wears skulls and monsters. So (laughs) (laughs) obviously I'm still wearing monster t-shirts all the time. Yeah, and then over the years after that, I've had the chance of having Mick do a cameo in the next movie and made Tales of Halloween. And then now he has another cameo in the the movie I have coming up soon. But the most important thing that I've learned from Mick, I think, is that, you know, it's a difficult industry and there's ups and downs and there's peaks and valleys and there's, you just have to have that overwhelming passion and that overwhelming drive to keep you going. And Mick has never lost that. And he's gone through all of it. He's done TV, he's done film, he's done big budget, he's done smaller budget, he's done everything. And his passion and enthusiasm for the genre is still the same and for filmmaking. And he's still, there's nothing he likes more than creating things and watching things and discussing things. And he lives for horror. And it's just so incredibly encouraging to see someone who can you know, get through their whole life being driven by that passion. And that's the thing that I, I hope I never lose and that I've learned from you, Mick, and that I am um, incredibly thankful for. So congratulations.
4: Thank you, Axe.
8: Here's to you. <laughs> Thanks.
2: <laughs> Uh, stopping by now for uh, a dinner, a new guest. Uh, I hope he is ready to speak because he is already on camera. Mr. John Carpenter, everybody.
1: Hey
9: there! Can you see me and hear me? Yes. We I do. have a toast to you, Nick Mick. I have a toast to you. Look at that hair! Lord <laughs> God. Here's to you.
4: Thank you, First Maestro. Minute. No, well,
10: hang on, hang on. You're a director, writer, author. Uh, you are the father of the masters of horror, and producer,
9: and you are the kindest man in the horror business. I want to say thank you for all the years we've known each other. Thank you for everything you've done, and thank you for being a friend to Axel. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs>
4: see you Nick John that means so much thank you Uh, and thank you for showing up cheers my god there's Landis I can't believe it
9: wow (laughs) nice to see you too John
2: (laughs) and we've got John Landis has just joined as well so uh, would you actually uh, like, like to go next or do you want to wait to be to toast Mick
6: I'll go next.
9: (laughs) After a beard stroke, yeah. Get it over with. Um, Mick, cut your hair. (laughs) No, Mick. Hi, Bill. How come I can't see all of them at once? (laughs) Well, put it on a gallery view, you will. How do I do that? Upper right corner. (laughs) Upper?
4: Upper right corner.
9: Oh, brilliant. Oh, hi, Joe. Hi, Ernest. Hey, who else is here? Hi, strange man in the corner. Tommy. Yeah, hello, hello. Mike Flanagan. Do we know each other? We we do not, but I, I'm a oh, okay. huge fan. This room is populated with Holland my idols. Tom the corner. Tom. Mm. Are you awake? <laughs> yeah, me, hey, John. Me?
11: Yeah.
9: And you got Bill Malone and Axel. Axel, I saw. She's the attractive one. (laughs) All right. Um, Mick, I raise my tiki cup to you. Um, I met Mick Garris in the motel across the street from Universal Studios, which doesn't sound as sleazy or it sounds as sleazy, but it's not as sleazy as it sounds. There was an old motel right across the street from Universal, that they used to give unimportant people offices. <laughs> and I was in pre-production on Animal House, and down the hall was the publicity office for Star Wars, which I don't think it had it come out yet. Yes. It had come out. Yeah. Had, it had come out. Just come out. Yeah. And there was a guy down there named Mick Garris whose jobs were I remember he did the remote controls on R2-D2 at Grauman's Chinese Theater for something. What was that? I forgot. The Oscars, yeah. The Oscars, okay. Were well, the Oscars at Grauman's?
4: No, no. It, it was at the Oscars in 1978.
9: I, I didn't do the Grauman's thing, but I did oh, okay. other Whatever. I knew him. He was a publicity guy and very knowledgeable and very nice and very ambitious and he went on to become i guess a unit publicist right yeah you you were on a bunch of movies Uh, i started on halloween
4: too yeah i did i did the howling and i did escape from new york and i did scanners and i did an american
9: werewolf in london but not unit wow he could only work for people i knew (laughs) No, but anyway, so I've known Mick a long time, and uh, I got him a job to direct something at Disney called Fuzzbucket. What? Bucket, and I swore on my honor as a human and an American to Jeff Katzenberg that Mick Garris was one of the best directors <laughs> I had ever met. I don't think you directed anything yet, had you? <laughs> No, but I swore it and they gave him the job and I fucked off to Europe to make a movie. (laughs) But in the meantime, uh, he's gone on to amazing success. He's always been, as Mr. Carpenter said, a very sweet, warm guy, generous and ambitious and talented and works hard. And he always had long hair. (laughs) it just wasn't always white um so mick Horace, rolodex this is to you long may you wave thank you so much
4: john thank you mike flanagan
2: would you like to go next
4: oh good
3: certainly I'll... <laughs> wow um well Mick, uh i first became familiar with Mick garris's work when I was 16 years old and I watched The Stand um, hanging on every single episode and I had never seen anything like it. Um, It was truly epic in a way I didn't know the genre was capable of. And I think as I uh, continued to dive into the genre and learn more about horror and experience your work over the years, um, it really reinforced to me why Stephen King has trusted you with so many of his Adaptations, and that's because you approach your filmmaking the same way you approach the world, which is full of empathy and kindness. Um, Now, aside from your contributions as an artist, um, which are legion and which I'm sure we're all gonna celebrate in greater detail tonight, your contributions to the horror community, which everyone has touched on, I I think is an amazing thing. Um, And that is because you seem to take authentic joy in building a big bonfire um, and inviting other storytellers to sit around it with you and just passing the flashlight to each one of them and asking them to tell a story. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, that comes from a pure love of storytellers and storytelling. Um, and the result of that is that you've built these bonfires on television. You've, you've built them in the cinemas, you've built them out in the world at, at these incredible dinners that I've never actually uh, attended. This is my my first Masters of Horror dinner is here in this Zoom, and like I said earlier, it's it's populated by my idols and by the people who taught me to love horror as as I came up in this industry. Welcome, Mike. Um, Welcome. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's an honor um, to call you a friend. Uh, I have enjoyed every one of our interactions um, over the years. You know, Mick was one of the uh, the very first human beings to see um, a film um, that I made uh, uh, off of Stephen King's Gerald's Game years back. He's one of the very first people I, I showed the film to. Um, and it was a private screening um, and I was terrified the whole time of what- Gerald's Game? Um, okay? Yeah. Um, that was yes. good. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna freak out. You guys are completely freaking me out. Um, this is amazing. But uh, I I think one of the the things that I find most amazing about you, Mick, is that when you assemble all of these storytellers and when you share your love of of movies with them, um, you bring them together, not in a sense of, of competition, but as a chorus of people who love the genre. Um, And I think the industry is better uh, and we are all better um, because you do that because you are who you are. So thank you for, letting me be part of this tribute to you. It is so well
4: deserved. Oh, thank you, Mike. And, you know, I always wanted to make Gerald's game, but when I saw you were doing it and when I saw the final product, I knew it was in the right hands. So thank you, my brother in King. Mm. To Mick. 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 It's the drinking game tonight.
2: It sure is. Uh, and now, of course, Ernest Dickerson.
11: Wow. Hey. I first met Mick at Dave's Laser, the long gone Dave's Laser on Ventura Boulevard. Always used to go in there to see what the new Laser disc coming out was. And, um, and you know, we would bump into each other and, and um, we just, you know, talk. And it was always like really cool, but he paid me the ultimate honor by offering me an episode of Masters of Horror and actually a script that he wrote. And uh, and I got to tell you, it was the best director-producer relationship I ever had. He uh, was totally there, totally supportive. Um, you know, listening to everything, all the problems that we had, and and you know, he ran. You know, he protected us from the network, and um, and so you know, that was Mick as producer. But over the years, we've he's become a really, really, really good friend. Somebody that I love seeing all the time, and um, don't see often enough. But hey, this this is the world we're in right now. But uh, but you know, it's, it's it was good to Mick allowed me to become part of the brotherhood of the masters, and um, and I had a chance to meet a lot of my heroes, a lot of people that I grew up watching their work, who influenced everything that I did, and to be part of that brotherhood was uh, is an honor, and so. Mick, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for everything you've done. I look forward to what you're going to do next.
9: Thank you so much, Ernest. Drinking time. I'm starting to think that the vodka I put in this was a mistake.
4: (laughs) (laughs) We have another 10 guests after these. That's
10: never a mistake.
11: (laughs) One sip for every guest.
2: (laughs) On that note, Tom Holland.
10: Oh, gosh. I was sitting here. The first time I met Mick was on Amazing Stories. And it was my first directing job after Fright Night. And I think you were still the publicist, Mick, right?
4: Well, no? No, I was yeah. I was the story editor on Amazing Stories. I story had gotten out of that game by then.
10: Story editor. And what he did was I was I was like a number one fan, like maybe Mike Flanagan is. But you took me in and introduced me to Richard Matheson. Mm. And I went, I, my, I, I, my mind blanked. I didn't know what to say because he was like a hero of mine. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. So that was the first time I met you. But I knew, I knew you or knew about you because I'd seen interviews you'd done with people like John Landis. I don't know where I've seen them on, on cable TV.
4: On the Z channel. That was my first That interview. was it.
10: That was it. Which was like the first time that people like me could get had like you could get film. You could watch, you could get things. That's right. And you were all my heroes, like John Landis. <laughs> Hello, John. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, John. Then, then you had the perspicacity to cast me in the stand. Which I, which I much appreciated, added to my to my sad pension of almost nothing. Tom, you <laughs> yeah. saved the picture. Where are you? Who said it? John, what? You were the best thing in the stand. No, thank you very much. Except
4: I, except I think it's a toss-up between you and John Landis, who's also the young rabbinical student in the stand.
9: <laughs> I'm the young rabbinical <laughs> student in the desert, standing guard for... What was his name? The bad guy,
10: uh,
4: Randall Flagg.
10: Flag. Yes. Were you out there too at that air at that that air that air cemetery? No, it's
4: a different location.
10: Different. Oh, death. Okay, okay. But what you really did is what Joe 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 mentioned to begin with. What what Nick did was he brought together all of us, all the genre directors, and. I felt I knew everybody in the business because I, because of my work and co- from commercials on. I, I, I knew composers, cinematographers, you know, crew people, all that. I didn't, and writers, but I didn't know other directors. And I didn't know other horror directors. And Mick, you brought brought us together, but you, you also introduced me to, to some of my heroes. You know, like, uh, well, you know, people we've lost. The uh, but anyway, that was a huge thing, that that, that to, be, to be able to have the camaraderie and share stories and feel like you're not alone. There was support. I knew what other people were talking about when they talked about their travails. You have know, one of the most amazing things I ever saw, which was John Landis playing the trivia game with uh, with uh, Quentin fiction.
4: Quentin Tarantino.
10: Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But it was that. And then even better, it turned into a job, Mick. So thank you very, very much. My toast to you. Thank All, you, every way, In every way. so car- much, mom.
9: Carpenter fucked off, didn't he? He's gone. He yeah, was only yeah. able to be here a couple of minutes. I'm sorry. You know how
4: are you? But he is. <laughs> uh, but shut up.
6: But who is here is Tommy McLaughlin, well, uh, God, how can I begin? Uh, I have known Mick since 82, 83, and uh, at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. <laughs> and uh, I was at USC, I think, that the where the screening was. Um, they, they, they bounced around so many times <laughs> over the years. But he came up and he couldn't have been more gracious and complimentary, and we exchanged phone numbers and kind of just became friends. Uh, my wife at the time and Cynthia and him and I went all everywhere, you know, dinners and like we took a train to San Diego once and we just you know hung out and, and expressed to one another how much we loved the genre and what we uh, had you know were planning to do. And then I guess it was in '85 that you you know got amazing stories and you were um, amazing to me because you asked me to you know co-write the uh, head of the class go to head of the class with you. And that was a you know major thing for me to actually work on something that you know Spielberg had uh, created, and uh, and then it went on where you brought me in on Furs, you brought me in on the others, uh, brought me in on She Wolf of London. I mean, it's like you know half of my career is thanks to Mick Garris. (laughs) So I you know I think the only thing I ever gave back is you took Shelley Johnson uh, who was my DP at the time for the others and the Shining and some of the other things that he did with you. Um, other than that, you know, all the contributions were, you know, my direction. So I was very blessed to have you in my life and we still can continue to be friends and talk, you know, just shit, you know, you know about life and Mick to you, pal, buddy, comrade, uh,
9: collaborator.
6: Thank you for everything. Really appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Tommy. Thank you so much.
9: Did I miss Joe and Axel's toast? You did. You did. Yeah. Yet. Dang. But
2: we've arrived at the portion at the conversational portion of our pretend dinner. So you'll well, have... we've
4: got Mr. Malone here.
2: Oh, that's right. Uh, I'm so Malone. sorry. Bill, make a toast yet.
4: Not yet.
5: Not Bill. Yet. Bill, Bill Bill's a, Robbie it's the right. robot. <laughs> you know, no. I know I, I know when I die, that'll be my thing. Guy who owned Robbie the Robot dies. <laughs>
9: oh, it'll be Guy who sold Robbie.
5: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh, Mick, oh. they gave they gave you the Lifetime Achievement Award. Is that correct?
4: It's the Master of Horror Award.
5: Yeah, but I heard you, you got some sort of Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah,
4: right? uh, uh, yesterday, actually, from GrimFest.
5: I'm that, that's the, like the not dead yet. <laughs> yeah, the not award. dead. What the fuck's <laughs> up with that?
9: <laughs> I feel like you're at, you're at your own funeral service. Congratulations
11: on that one, too.
5: That's why I'm a <laughs> scenario, can I have a few burials tonight. Um, yeah, uh, Mick Garris is not dead and he's got a lot to, to do yet. So uh, I just <laughs> want to point that out. Um, you know, I first met Mick uh, actually uh, on Star Wars because I was working for a company called Don Post Studios. Hmm. And we arranged the first um, toy license ever on Star Wars. And I think we got the license for like $1,000 or something. But anyway, we we had to uh, uh, go down and and meet all the people. And one of the uh, places I went was a little dentist's office, which was where Mick was. As a publicist, and we started chatting, and uh, I think you invited me over to a Halloween party I did. over at your apartment, and uh, we just got along famously. And uh, you know, over the years, I've I've seen Mick, uh, you know, in a lot of different situations, and he's always just been a really good guy. And and uh, um, one of the things I wanted to mention is is he's really been great as far as film history goes. He's been a great historian in terms of um, preserving a lot of stuff, uh, you know with the podcast that he's done and stuff he's done with uh, you know the um, uh, uh, you know your uh, um, the conversations with different people you have re- recorded. And I think that that's really an important thing. and and of course,, um, you know the whole masters of horror thing, as some others have mentioned here, has been just was a wonderful event. And uh, a rare one, as we all know in television to to for the director to actually uh, get to do whatever he wanted to do. And uh, some of us went overboard, probably myself, included.
4: My <laughs> goodness you did, yeah,
5: but but uh it was just a great fun, and it couldn't have been a better situation, and it's really all due to you because you were so gracious to everyone, and you gave everyone your time and I remember even on the set when I was shooting mine, I, I think I was in desperate need for a scene and I said, Mick, can you write something really quick? <laughs> and uh, he got in there and I think within about 15 minutes he came up with this, this scene that I needed and stuff. So it was great and uh, he's just been a great friend all these years and you know, I, I really want to appreciate I would say that I appreciate your friendship and uh, all the kind things you've done over the years. and I, I toast to you. You're a good man.
4: Oh, thanks, and you too, Bill. Thank you so much. Um, cheers.
11: I'll drink to that.
5: <laughs>
4: Ernest, you'll drink to anything. <laughs> you are judged by the quality of your friends, and look at these people we have arranged here. I mean, it's, it's
11: amazing seeing all you guys and ladies all up here. It's um, it's great seeing all your faces. I've I've been missing our our dinners.
4: Yeah, me too. I mean, Mike, I met you after we did our last dinner, or you would have been on the. You are on the list. When we, uh, when the world heals, we'll be if doing. There are there any restaurants still open? <laughs> <Yes. Yeah.
7: laughs>
4: our last one was a tribute to our fallen friend Toby Hooper, and I just want to yeah. salute him and Wes and Here's to Toby.
5: Gordon Here's to Toby. and to Larry, Toby, yeah, Toby, and Wes
11: to our
5: fallen friends.
11: Yeah, and it you know. And Stu, man. Uh, I always used Stuart to love Stuart. running into Stuart Gordon. Stuart Gordon and, and his wife at the uh Larry, Larry
10: Cohen. Yeah, Larry Cohen.
11: Larry Cohen, man. Wes uh, Craven, Toby. Yeah. I still have a, a recording that Larry called my phone and, and left a, a message. It was right after New Year's. And right it was not long before he passed away. It was right before I was I was gonna leave to go someplace. And I had dinner. Rose and I had dinner with uh, Larry and his wife uh, right around that time, and um, I was. Uh, I, was Nick, I was shocked when, when he passed away.
5: Well, Bill and I have a story. Yeah, Mick, you want to tell that story because it's 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 just an amazing
4: story. It's astonishing. Um, we called and made arrangements to see Larry at his home. And we knew that there wasn't a whole lot of time left, but he was still, he had a great sense of humor, very funny. So we go to the door. We're we, led by his, Bill and I, yeah. were led by his daughter upstairs to his bedroom. And so he's lying on his side like this, going, we walk in and he goes, goodbye.
6: Goodbye.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and he was fucking with us. So it was, that is so Larry. And he passed away the very next day. Oh, man. Mm. So what a story to always be able to bring up from your heart. You know, this was, that was Larry Cohen. And Bill and I were lucky enough to experience, you know, probably the
5: last great practical joke of Larry Cohen.
11: Yeah.
5: I wish I had a picture of our expressions when he did that. Cause I'm sure we looked at each other and I'm sure we went,
10: what
11: the? <laughs> I can imagine what that was like. Wow. I mean, I, I still have pictures of, um, you know, Larry, Larry, we had dinner with, but you know, Toby, um, Toby used to come by my, come by our house and I have pictures fourth of a, Ju- of, of a fourth of July celebration in my backyard, Larry Cohen and Scott Wilson. Wow. And they're both gone. And, and Amanda, Amanda Plummer was you know, hanging out with with Toby, and it was uh, he was uh, you know we became really 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 tight you know and 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 hanging out a lot, and um, when he went man it just it just it blew me away.
4: It was a total shock, and he was the sweetest teddy bear of a guy, and we'll oh. always have. Not just their movies, but we'll always have memories of those dinners where we were able to get together with everyone from West to to. Well, George never came to one of the dinners, but um, uh, and and with Larry Cohen and Stuart Gordon and Toby. I mean, those Toby came to every single one. It was kind of a highlight for him to to surround himself with all of his friends. He was yeah. such a teddy
9: bear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Toby is one of my favorite things in a movie I made called coming to America, <laughs> which is, uh, there's a party at John Amos's house, Mr. McDowell's house. I know that movie. And, and the way <laughs> the sequence begins is it starts on a copy of a famous Monet painting, but altered to be McDowell's, but it, the, the camera pulls back. And shows the people at the party. And there's Toby in the center of the frame talking to someone. And somebody says, hey, Toby. And Toby goes. And walks out of the picture. One of my favorite things in the movie. I don't think it made a difference to anyone. But it does. I enjoy
11: it. You know what was what was heavy about when we used to have the master's dinners at Hamburger Hamlet? Right.
10: The and one,
11: the greeter, on, the one on sunset. Yeah. yeah. The greeter was the ex Mrs. Miles Davis. Sure, yeah. she was there for I, many years. I, you know, she was on the album cover of Someday My Prince Will Come. When I was a teenager and I had that album, I fell in love with her. <laughs> and then and then to finally meet her, and there's a really great documentary out called birth of the cool uh which gets into miles's life and it really gets heavily into the relationship between uh, him and iris really he was one of the great loves of his life it was uh yeah it's just that you know when he when he started getting into drugs and everything and and he she was a dancer she was you know going to appear on broadway in west side story and uh he didn't want his wife to be going off doing you know, acting, you know, or doing dancing, you know, he wanted her to stay at home. And that kind of like was the start of their, their, their fall down. But if you ever see that documentary, it's really, it's really quite touching, you know, when she talks about their relationship.
9: This has nothing to do with horror, although it is horrible. Hamburger Hamlet started on the, on Sunset Plaza by two people, husband and wife who were actors and it used to say Hamburger Hamlet service in the Southern style. And all the help at Hamburger Hamlet, all the waiters, everybody, waitresses were black. black. <laughs> and in 1965, when I was 15, I was actually, it was the summer of 65, so I turned 16 then. Um, was, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sixty six, so it's nineteen sixty six. I be no, I was. 50. I don't know when the fuck it was. I'm old. <laughs> in any case, I was sixty five or sixty six, but I went into Hamburger Hamlet in Westwood Village and applied for a job, and the place was owned by Harry and Marilyn Lewis, and Harry Lewis happened to be there, and he said, "You." Why do you want to work here? I said, Well, it's near my parents' house, and you know, I need a job. And he said, Well, son, we only hire, I think he said colored, we only hire colored help. And I said, Well, I'm going to the ACLU and sue your ass. <laughs> so he said, All right, never mind, you can work. So there's Rosa Parks. No, Martin Luther King <laughs> and me. I am the first white bus boy at Hamburger Hamlet. You broke the... A lot of ladies who worked at Hamburger Hamlet all over the place, and as the Hamlets closed, you know, they would end up always on the Doheny one. And so I knew all those women for many, many years. And they all took ownership. You know, it was like, here's John. He's successful because of us.
4: (laughs) And they were right. Yeah. So one thing I just realized is that everyone here has been a guest on, on the podcast, except for Axel. And we're waiting for your next movie. And then you can complete the circle. and That uh, would
8: be great. Yeah, that well, would be awesome,
4: it me. It'll happen. It, it definitely. Yeah, ends. I was lucky happen.
7: enough to be in the editing room of her movie for about five minutes and it really looked good. Really?
9: <laughs> <I can't wait. laughs> which, which one?
8: I, I have a movie coming out next year oh. that I shot before the pandemic. Called? It's called The Manor.
9: Like a house, like a manor. Yeah, yeah. And it, it stars- used to have a
8: different title and it was changed. It hasn't been announced yet, so I'm not oh. supposed to talk about it, I guess. But uh, but yes, it's coming out next
4: year. It's not your fault we pro- we talked about it. Not your fault. And,
8: and Mick and Bill both have a-, a cameo in it.
4: That's right. And it stars Barbara Hershey, who was my star in Riding the Bullet.
9: Yeah. Well, Joe and I are very offended, Axel.
5: Why? <laughs> that <'Cause> we're not in <laughs> it? It's yeah. okay, we were playing the not dead yet people, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> no, well, Landon. Any guidance you want to give us here? Absolutely. Uh, oh. one,
2: uh, one quick thing from uh, the chat that's uh, been going on that, uh, uh, for all the viewing audience, uh, people would very much like to see more of Joe's cat, uh, but. Uh,
7: <laughs> No, it's uh, he's he's very camera shy.
2: (laughs) Understood. Uh, Yes, uh, uh, obviously we're we're calling this the dinner with the Masters of Horror, and you've all alluded to the dinners and 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 how they became this sort of fabled um, uh, sort of piece of what's now modern uh, genre fan history amongst you. Like, how can you you detail how how did the dinners come about? Why did they continue? Um, what what did each of you uh, uh, get out of uh, them, or, or having heard about them? Kind of talk a little bit about how this this communal aspect of your friendship. That's
7: that's all that's all Mick. I mean this this stuff wouldn't have happened without Mick. Well, yeah.
4: to, to, it it was grounded in you know we would see each other at Directors Guild meetings or film festivals around the world or different places, and always it would be. Wouldn't it be great if we all got together and had dinner sometime? And there's,
10: some, there's something a little, more. The genre, the genre directors are rather isolated within the academy, and you better. gave specifically genre directors a home, and that was what I thought was one of them so great about it. So and that's and that's
7: that, true. And and I feel, and directors in general don't really get to see each other no, much no. because it's they're a working.
5: Well, I remember uh, uh, Mick was in my living room and we were talking and I said, you know, we don't know any other director, probably Mick did, but I didn't know any other directors because I had no opportunity to meet with them because, you know, like you say, you're working. And uh, so Mick and I were talking about, I said we should have some kind of a dinner and then Mick went off and uh, made the thing happen. And, and, uh, but uh, what's what's great is Mick then, had the idea of let's make this into a TV show, which is something I would have never thought of in a million years. (laughs)
9: First dinner was really wonderful. I mean, I've forgotten who, who, tell me who was there. There was Toby Hooper and Joe and Bill Malone and
4: Guillermo
5: del Toro,
9: Guillermo
4: Guillermo and John Carpenter and Stuart Gordon, um, Bob Burns, Larry uh, Cohen. Larry Cohen, yeah. There were 12 of us.
9: But it was a very raucous and very funny group. And I remember we were at some restaurant in the Valley. And yeah. a very good one, Mick. But I remember that house. it wasn't the smokehouse. Was it wasn't? No,
4: the first one was in, in uh, Sherman Oaks. It was the French play. uh uh no. or Bijot
9: or something. Yeah, like
4: Petit... Uh, uh, the petite bistro, I think.
9: Yeah. Oh yeah, the one in on Microsoft. Yeah. There was another table that was having a birthday party. <laughs> yeah. They were singing "Happy Birthday," and Guillermo del Toro stood up <laughs> with his glass and he said, "Happy birthday from the Masters of Horror." <laughs> <laughs> he actually coined the the name didn't he i mean that was yeah. we weren't the masters of horror until he said so yeah yeah i
4: guess mike mendez had made a uh, a documentary that was running around that time called masters of horror wow. and uh so i guess it was in the collective unconscious and guillermo decided to jokingly call us that you know nobody was ever serious about us being the masters of horror until we turned it into a TV show.
9: Where- until you made money off
4: it, Mick. <laughs>
11: not, <that laughs> not that much money. I'm not,
9: I'm not
4: living show. in Beverly Hills. You <laughs>
11: are.
9: <laughs> Ernest said it, but it's quite true, which is having produced a lot of television and directed entirely too much television, <laughs> the reality is doing that show because of Mick and not his partners who were pricked. The uh was a pleasure. And it was basically you have five hundred thousand dollars, and how many days? It was
4: two million and ten days. Yeah.
9: It felt yeah. like five hundred. You had two million really two million dollars <laughs> <laughs> and
4: ten days.
9: And final cut dollars. <laughs> and
4: final cut. And final cut, which is more important than either of them.
10: And they told me I spent more than anybody else at 2.5 million.
4: I wasn't going to say anything.
10: <laughs> New master. In any case, it was a unique
9: situation. And I remember shoot. I was shooting in the woods somewhere outside Vancouver and we're laying in fog, which we ended up having not to do at a certain point because so much fog came in and we're shooting out there and John Carpenter shows up and I think he showed up just to give me shit. <laughs> Forty-five minutes. He's like standing there commenting. <laughs> Finally, I said to my producer, "Oh Mick, pick <laughs> this guy off my set." Can we lose Mr. Halloween, please? <laughs> but it was a a a. Ernest said it, a totally unique situation. To be able just to make anything and be left alone, essentially, it was fun. Hey, listen, when Mick,
11: te- Mick said to me, okay, when your cut comes out, we will give you our notes. You can listen to them, read them, or not. I have never, ever had that same situation in <laughs> Well, not
4: only that, but as the producer and showrunner, I wrote the script that you directed. And you brought in another writer to do revisions, which I encouraged all the way through. And that's not something that is normally the case when you're working on a TV series. The showrunner is very protective of that work. But the point had to be made that I meant it when I was giving everybody final cut and complete creative control.
11: It was, it was uh, a perfect experience. I can't say that about too many other things. Perfect. Well,
5: you know, uh-huh. Mick, Mick, I have to thank you for, for uh, talking me into the episode that I wound up directing. Because actually, uh, there was another episode which I wanted to direct. And I didn't really want to direct the one that you handed me because I felt knowing myself, I, you know, I like I can watch paint dry, you know, if it's on film and I was afraid I was going to make something that would be very uh, sedentary, shall we say. And, uh, but, you know, when I uh, got the script, uh, you know, it, it really turned out really well. I was very happy with it. It was really a blessed event because, you know, first of all, you know, you were so good about making everything, you know, as everyone else said, just really right, you know, and, and then also, I felt blessed because um, I've never been on a film where actually everything worked out exactly as I needed. You know, yeah. I showed up. I was one set. Uh, I was supposed to shoot outside, and and I said, you know, to really have the look I want, it's got to be overcast and kind of misty. I get there; it's overcast and misty. It's then the other scene I had to do was like out by a lake. And I said, I want to use a red filter. I want to shoot it in black and white, which thank you again for letting me actually film with black and white film. And uh, uh, and then uh, I said, I, I need uh, with the red filter, I need blue skies with puffy clouds. I get there, blue skies, puffy clouds. And the minute I yelled cut for the last shot, clouds roll in and it like, looks like shit. You're
4: welcome. We went to a lot of trouble to control the weather. Direct line to God.
5: Who did you
11: sacrifice for that? that Did you have to sacrifice somebody for that? (laughs) Six virgins. Six virgins. One thing
4: I I would like to say, though, is how exciting it was to go into the editing room, and there were three directors editing their shows at the same time, and to walk in to see John Landis. uh, cutting with his his editor, Dante, John Carpenter, Ernest Dickerson, Tom Holland, all of these people with completely different cinematic styles, which is what we encouraged. We wanted their films to reflect their personalities. We weren't trying to make a series like Tales from the Crypt that had a style of its own. We wanted each of them to be Anything but that uh, to express. I wanted Joe Dante to make a Joe Dante movie and Tom Holland to make a Tom Holland movie. John,
9: Ernest, so. made an important movie. Yeah, yeah. that is very that, relevant today. Yeah, that is still really relevant today. Still relevant. Yes, yeah. a, lot at, a lot of
4: good. A lot of good it did.
9: More so. Well, it might be doing good this. Might year. Be doing
4: good now. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, but that was so exciting to work with people who, like I said before, I stand in the shadows of of so many of these filmmakers that I revered as a film fan and became friends with, you know, Dario Argento and, and Toby and people that I never imagined I would have a relationship with, but to be able to be their enabler, you know, they'd had frustrating careers with studios and networks and things like that. And to be able to say, we don't have much time, we don't have much money, but you can do what you want. And that may be the crowning achievement of my career.
9: I can't get over $2 million. I had no idea. <laughs> well, the average TV network. Team, I would have gone and made a feature for Fox <laughs> the stuff, average network
4: TV dollars. show at the time was $3 million an episode. So there you
11: go. And this is in Vancouver. So. Yeah. Yeah. So when is
8: season three, Mick?
11: Yeah. Well, as I
9: said, mixed partners on that show were classic Hollywood bad name. Which is which is why which is why you
7: have to really give him credit for the ability to create such a terrific show with not you know, he had to deal with us, egomaniacs that we are, but he also had to deal with his producers, who were not exactly uh, the most refined uh, people in
4: the business, and, and they were and... my managers at the time. Well,
11: well you're what can I say? You know, <laughs> but, you know, but you know, today this is now probably perfect situation to have masses of horror come back. But he well, doesn't we're... own the title.
9: Yeah,
4: well, I mean, I, I co-own it, but that's what. Nightmare Masters Cinema, of was of movie, which yeah,
7: that's what that's what Nightmare Cinema ended up being a sort yeah. of a, a new version of Masters of Horror, because after Masters of Horror, you know, these same people decided to do Masters of Science Fiction, and without did it telling without me. him, yes. yeah, uh, and they did it. They
4: botched it up.
11: Yeah, Mick left. You know. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and as well, he should. Yeah, yeah, because he knew they were gonna they were gonna fuck it up. Excuse my French, but they were gonna fuck it up.
4: They did with Fear Itself, you know, which was suddenly for a commercial network with censorship and all of that. And, and you know, and, um, Nightmare Cinema was intended to be, uh, hey, Rose, was intended to be an hourly Masters of Horror type anthology, but with from filmmakers all around the world. And so we were able to do it as a, as a feature. And Joe and I are the token Americans in it. But we have hopes that it will launch a, a similar uh, anthology show, and I
9: hope Mike Flanagan will take part in that one, so we Speaking can work together. Speaking of nightmare cinema, Axel, do you know I never got paid <laughs> for
4: Tales of Halloween?
8: I've or heard. Halloween. I've heard very different versions on that I'm story. Sorry.
9: Tales of Halloween. I never got paid, and but it was how, not- how long did you work? But An it hour? was. <laughs> One he
8: earned his hundred bucks.
9: Yeah. I never got a hundred bucks. <laughs> you are paid what you were worth. <laughs> Landon, what's up?
2: <laughs> um the, something I think I'd be remiss not to uh make sure we got answers from all of you for. Uh with so many folks tuning in right now and wanting to hear uh this the the, the same way many of you have spoken about um some of the folks in this room and, and some of the folks at the dinners being your heroes, you're all very much heroes to our festival audience, our festival fan base and our viewing audience right now. Um, could you each talk about um, some of what in horror is exciting you right now, whether they're discoveries or, you know, given quarantine rediscoveries, what, what really are, are, are things that our audience shouldn't miss? What, what kind of has your seals of approval? What really excites you?
4: I'll start with, you know, things like Relic and uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid, mm-hmm. just the the diversity of voices from throughout the world and gender as well. Uh, and, and those things excite me, being able to go to festivals like yours and like other ones around the world and get the opportunity to see international horror at its best, films like the Spanish language La Llorona, not the studio version. Um, There's some really important, special, wonderful filmmaking going on out there, and and to be able to keep up with it at the click of a cursor is pretty exciting.
7: It's a pretty different world now, you know, because uh, your festival obviously is virtual. Uh, You you can't, uh, festivals are the one place where people can have their movies discovered. And, um, you know, they used to get a lot of press because they were in-person events. Uh, and now of course they're all virtual. Um, I, I, was, I was pretty impressed with host, which is the, uh, oh, a, yeah. a, a COVID movie yeah. the Korean know, by some guys, uh, which is no, not the
4: Korean film. This is a new one, John. No, no,
7: this is a new oh, movie that's, that's me. about people who it's, it's, it's shot entirely on zoom. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, it's, 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 it's in the tradition of Blair witch project and a movie I'm not that enthusiastic about, but, um, but which I think is, uh, and uh, my friend Dee Wallace, uh, you know, her um, her daughter is in a, a another um, show which I can't remember the title of at the moment, but um, is another sort of scary movie thing that's done with Zoom. And I, I think you are going to find, much like Cloverfield was, uh, 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 you know, a new attempt to try to reimagine the kind of movies that we've been watching for so long
11: based on our new reality. I'm really uh, blown away by some of the independent, low-budget independent films. I've got to tell you, Mike Flanagan, Absentia blew me away. Yes. I bought I bought the DVD, man. You know, because I saw, you know, when I watched that and, and I saw how you did, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. And it's really creepy, really scary. And it's all... You know how you kept everything kind of like on the edges of the frame. You know, you only see a, only see a little bit of it. Beautifully done, and then uh, Doctor Sleep, man. I bought the the full the full what three hour version of it. I bought the Blu-ray of it, man. Uh, beautiful work. So there's a lot of great stuff coming up, and uh, stuff like Lovecraft Country. Have you guys been seeing Lovecraft Country?
4: Oh yeah, oh yeah, very cool.
11: Yeah, it's it's uh, really quite beautiful stuff, and um, and you know, I I'm an African American man who grew up in high school reading Lovecraft. Lovecraft was the only writer that really scared me, but the racism really made me back up, and now seeing how people are responding to that and turning it around.
9: Yeah, like, he would hate it.
11: Val's, You know, the, the Legend of Black Tom, how we took the, the, the horror of Red Hook and just turned it around and, you know, did a whole nother thing is, you know, I think horror is now being considered seriously as a genre, you know, where it wasn't before, you know, now it, it I think horror is now becoming genre filming, not just horror, but science fiction, you know, is a is a genre that now people are gonna to have to reckon with and, and deal with.
4: And we don't need to call it elevated, it's just the good stuff. Yeah. And there's always been good stuff around. The mm. elevated is is an insulting term to our genre,
9: I think. Has anyone watched Kingdom, the Korean period Korean show that's on Netflix?
4: Oh planet. Yeah, the zombie yeah. show.
3: Yeah,
9: it's really cool. It's, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's really beautifully produced gorgeous costumes wonderful sets and it's an intriguing story and it's a zombie show <laughs> It it totally caught me by surprise and it's
8: very relevant too with the king who claims to be the people claim that he's not sick when he actually <laughs> is sick and dead
11: well, that's oh, crazy. God. yeah okay <laughs>
9: dead (laughs) you know i mean but he's eating people
11: you know i mean it's some really good good shows on netflix like uh dark which is a german uh, a german science fiction horror show which is really really good and another show that came out of the netherlands called ares a-r-e-s ares which is really really good has a a great lady as uh, as the lead, hmm. and um, and and was you know, the television is is now taking over because I remember all the times we had our movies where some of the stuff that first got cut was the was was the character stuff, all the character beats, all the arcs, you know, cut it so it can fit into two hours. Now we can let it stretch out. Now we can really play. Those 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 character beats and and television is now becoming the medium. Everybody wants to get into TV.
7: And The only thing we lose is the shared experience of
9: seeing it with an audience
11: and with is, oh yeah. everything yeah, because
9: I mean especially for scary for horror horror and comedy are the two genres that require a spastic response. By that, I mean, it's a convulsive, genuinely physical response. In a horror thing, if you're really scared, you go, ah, <laughs> or you go, oh, <laughs> you know. If it's funny, you laugh. Fear and laughter are extremely contagious if you you're in a crowd. Now, I've made some of the most successful comedies of all time. And let me tell you, watching Animal House alone <laughs> is a very different experience than watching it in the theater of 500 people. Yeah. It's mm-hmm.
5: different. Yeah, it's
9: much like watching Night of the Living Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Psycho alone is an extremely different experience than watching it in a full house, big. Why do you
7: suppose the Marx Brothers took their stuff on the stage and, and, they and t- left spaces for where they knew the laughs were going to yeah, be? We're because missing they had it. already per- they'd already, you know, uh, performed them. And they said, oh, there's a big laugh here. So when we go back to the stage and shoot this scene, we'll leave a space. Well, now there's- when you see them on TV with nobody there, there's just a space there. But when you I see thought- them in a theater, they work brilliantly. Because it's it's modulated, it's planned for the re- audience reaction, and without an audience reaction, my view is you really only have half a movie.
5: I always thought I'm excited to oh, go for Always had it right, Axel.
8: Oh, I was gonna say I I'm actually excited about the the rise of streamers right now. I I know that everybody's worried about what's going to happen with theaters, but I'm really excited to see that we have all those platforms right now that take actual risks and you can see international shows and you can see stuff like you just mentioned, Ernest, you mentioned the the Dutch show. Marianne last year, how great was that? You know, the French show on Netflix. There's a lot of really cool, exciting things that we get to see and, and mini series and things that have, that get to have a lot of money and play on big, stage and be seen around the world at the same time and I think that all of that and you know at the same time also having independent movies and weird little features that you would never usually get to see and suddenly you can just see it everywhere at the same time on Netflix and I I find that very exciting I think it's it means that there's a future beyond just blockbusters yes
11: Yes. however however but I think it helps the one thing you said that's false They are not brave. More important. They are not doing
9: new and outrageous things. They're buying stuff from all around the world, which is wonderful, and they're co-producing things. But if you look at the Netflix movies, they're pretty solid B product. But there's some good ones though. Yeah, there are. Yeah,
5: of course, there, there are. Right?
7: But there's no, but there's no shared experience. I mean, there's so many channels know, and so I many know, things, so many places for people to see that nobody can have the kind of upbringing that we did, where everybody would talk on Monday about what happened on Thriller that night or Twilight Zone or whatever. There was no, there was a, there was a, a, an understanding of what was being seen by the large audience. There's no large audience anymore. It's all bifurcated, and nobody has. Um, a, a, a particular take on what it is that's popular, because we we all have so many choices, which which is great, but it doesn't make for consensus.
11: But yeah. the great thing about it, though, is that we're now we have to concentrate more on story. You know, um, it's the stories. It's uh, you know the character development. You know where the characters go up, how they how they are damned or not damned. I mean that's that's what we get out of what we have today and and unfortunately, yeah, it would be great to have that experience where we're all in the same room together and get our jumps. But now, you know, I think horror can horror has, you know, horror can be more subtle and it can and it can get into more of what the literary Classicists did, you know, I'd love to see somebody do a great M.R. James adaptation, you know, for television, you know. Because it's, it's one of the important things. It kind, kind of creeps up over the back of your head, you know.
4: <laughs> it's one of the important things about festivals like this is that it exposes us to things we might not otherwise see and gives publicity to these films when they start getting reviewed and, and people sharing. But yeah, Joe is really right about, even television used to be a shared experience because everybody saw it at the same time, if not in a movie theater. But uh, Bill, you started saying something and-
5: uh, Oh, I was just talking about to, uh, to, to John's comment uh, about comedy and horror. And I always thought the Academy got it completely wrong. I mean, look, dramas should be the last ones that get the Academy Awards because you, know, you get a good script you get good actors and if you can't make a good movie out of it, you're an idiot. but a, but a horror film or a comedy, those are the hardest things to make. I'd say comedy number one because there's nothing worse than a comedy that's not funny. I mean it's the worst. you know and, and horror films can kind of skate by sometimes if they're not scary if they've got a good mood or tone or something like that. But, but I I think, uh, I think comedies don't get enough comedy and horror don't get enough respect. You know? Oh, know
9: they never did they were the stepchildren yeah. but it's yeah. interesting i agree that horror is now a, a it has much more respect comedy still in the toilet but horror <laughs> has much more respect and if you just look at the number of horror and science fiction things the only action outpaces it on the oh, street. it's
4: because it's because they're cheap to make and they don't require movie stars or you know expensive elements. But Mike, what have you been watching? You've been kind of quiet here, and I'm fascinated because you're um, a bit younger than a lot of us are, and I'd love to hear what is exciting you.
3: Well, I I agree with Axel. Uh, I I think there's quite a, an interesting opportunity with streamers, and I think the difference is that while I completely agree that the community experience of the theater, you know, is absent in a really tragic way right now. Um, There's something about the direct intimacy you can have with a single viewer in isolation that's an opportunity, especially for scares. I think it's almost impossible for comedy because I really do think comedy builds on the reactions of the people around you. It's something that everyone amplifies, but I think you can scare someone in a very interesting way when they're alone uh, whereas an audience can be comforting to them. And so I, I think that's, you look at, Nick, we've talked in the past about how the horror genre can be exercise in courage, right? That it can be a little, just a little bit of exercise, like going to the gym for two hours right. to teach yourself how to be a little braver. I think if that's something you're doing alone, um, there's something special about that. And you look at, you know, uh, Ernest is talking about independence. And and I think that's something that before, if you wanted to go make an independent film, you needed celluloid, you needed a crew, you needed, you know, even in the digital, you know, when the digital explosion happened, you still needed a crew. Um, But Rob Savage with Host proved he didn't need anything, but his computer, he was isolated by what's happening in the world. And he turned that anxiety into an immediate story That he was able to.
9: I haven't seen it. Are there other performers in host?
3: Yes. Yes. Yes, there are. But all all virtually just like this. Rob
9: was not alone. He needed the collaboration of all those other people.
3: Very fair point. Yes, of course. Um, I think the interesting thing about it, though, is that all he needed to create the opportunity, much in the way, you know, Mick, you create opportunities for collaborators that way, was just a computer. Um, He didn't need a crew behind him to put it, to put it all together. And he made the film. And then within weeks, it was instantly available to a number of other people in the world that were having the same isolated experience that he was having.
4: And
9: it hit
3: him right in the heart.
9: I'll tell you the story. I was at my wife, I should say, Deborah was a juror at the Cannes film festival. I was not. And Costa Gavras, who's probably my closest friend, his wife Mich- Michelle Gavras, who's a big French producer, she was also a juror and selling a movie she just made at the Cannes Film Festival. This is about eight years, uh, six or six to eight years ago, <laughs> and um, so our wives were big involved at the Cannes Film Festival. It's a horrible thing to go to if you're not involved, you know, so we were like the wives. We were like, you know, we're not coming, but it was Deborah's birthday. So I said, okay, I'll come for two days. So I go to Cannes and and uh, Costa and I are walking on the quizette, And I said, you know, Costa, this new digital revolution is amazing because with iPhones with laptops with Final Cut Pro anyone has the tools to make a movie this is really gonna democratize the motion picture this is an extra and I'm going on and on and Costa stops me and says John there has been pencil and paper for two thousand years and how many great books are there
4: good point the 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 great thing about host is that it was made in such a minuscule manner but the script was terrific the performances are terrific and it shows that you do can, i don't see it where is it it's on netflix uh, no it's I on shutter, shutter. Yeah. yeah it's on but, shutter okay yeah. i'll see It's a very smart, very canny use of what we're doing right now. Of limitations. Yes, yes. It's making the most of those limitations and making something expansive that's really tiny because its ideas are good and it's genuinely scary. And it has that cranial creep that, Mike, I think you were talking about where you can get the creeps watching this thing because it's intimate and personal. Watching it alone, it's still very powerful. And intimate.
11: Uh, been seeing some interesting stuff on Netflix. There was a, a little movie called uh, Sweetheart. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Sweetheart. No, I haven't seen that. Sweetheart. Sweetheart. It's just, okay. Basically, it's it's one lady. It's stuck on a desert on an island. Um, she was uh, in a shipwreck and she winds up on this little desert island by herself, and something is trying to eat her. So there's <laughs> something coming out of the ocean that wants to get her and it's uh there's two other people that do show up but they don't last very long but 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 basically it's her it's a survival story against this lovecraftian thing that comes out of the ocean and she has to survive and it's uh, it was done really 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 low budget and um and really you know beautifully done um for a little simple film Um low
4: budget big ideas you can do that
11: yeah, is that on Shutter. It's, it's on, on Netflix. On Netflix, I saw it yeah. on Netflix. Netflix.
4: okay. Landon, what else?
11: That, that director
2: is uh, J.D. Dillard, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the film played last year at the Sundance Film Festival. He's an excellent filmmaker. As
11: he well, did another movie called Slight, right? Yes, he did. Slight uh, is a is a little science. It's a neighborhood science fiction piece, mm-hmm. which is really weird it's like how this kid kind of becomes a superhero because he's a magician and he and he basically has these electromagnets inserted into his arm and i, I don't want to say more about it but it's uh a really really low budget film and um and just really nicely done and a, and a really tantalizing ending
7: is that on netflix too
11: that's uh, on uh actually i saw it on hbo Oh, it's on HBO. Um, It's, uh, yeah, you can probably get it on pay per view. Uh, Not pay per view, but uh, on demand.
4: Okay.
11: It's Uh, called Slight, S L E I G H T.
4: Tommy, have you seen anything that excites you? Yeah, you. (laughs) You're the
6: only Tommy here. I just, there's a touch. I just enjoying this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the fly on Mike Pence's head now. Uh, just listen. <laughs> Am I the only one? Or when you watch uh, I got to say, I mean, anytime anybody's asked me in the last. Go ahead. I can't hear <laughs> you. Continue, Tom. You there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. My, my internet is just freezing every.
4: Well, yes, it's it is. doing it again. So yes, it is. Your piece. It's doing it again.
6: Oh shit! I love remember, that. Fly. I love that fly. I, I'm here in spirit.
7: Just, uh, just remember. Just remember, if the fly on Mike Pence's head laid eggs, it would have to be taken to term.
9: <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I could think of during the whole time that fly was there was help me. <laughs> <laughs>
7: And how much gunk does this guy have on his hair?
11: <laughs> well, you know, it landed on the only thing that smelled like shit. <laughs> what was it that attracted fly that fly in the first place? It was the only fly <laughs> in the whole <laughs> building. <Wow.
4: laughs> Landon, great. you want to wrangle? How
11: about you,
2: Tom? Uh, is there anything that's of interest uh, uh, to you that's exciting you, either older or newer? Um just folks and, and Axel as well. Uh, uh if there's anything, because I know you're working with a lot of folks right now that like you really think people watching should really be invested in or interested in.
8: Tom um, go ahead.
10: Oh, me or Axel? You. Uh, me? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I have been listening and the only I haven't been able to take notes fast enough on all these on all these shows I better try to see. Uh <laughs> I have Thank my you. my first novel came out, The Notch. Uh, I'm working writing uh, Fright Night too, because I own the uh, the dramatic rights. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much, Mike. But what's happened? This is also the 35th anniversary of Fright Night, yeah. and I I think because we're all <laughs> quarantined and every I have had an unending ending series of uh, Zoom calls, podcasts, and interviews. So I mean I. In other words, I've been working my butt off, but I have, I watched 50 or 20 minutes of something and I'm on to something else and I can't keep up with, with, uh, with Netflix. And I think that what John said about a lot of, you know, a lot of CG, there's a sameness to it all, John. I mean, you said, you said that the the B movie time, I don't know about that because I think that's where Mike Flanagan is doing a lot of his work. But I mean, I've been hearing excellent things, Mike. The, and I've been hearing about the new one. Is Blaylock yours? What? Uh, is Blaylock Manor yours?
4: Bly Manor. Yeah.
10: Yes, 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 it okay, is. Well, um, I mean, Axel directed an episode, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I mean, I'm hearing, I'm hearing very good things about, about about your work. But mainly, I've been writing and I've been reading. So, you know, the two greatest pleasures of my life were reading and watching movies and working in both has sort of injured both of them but, I mean, we're all fans that's what i get out of listening to all of you i mean i you know i, I mean john i go back to the blazewood movie where you and where you were an assistant a pa or something you know the one they shot in europe kelly's you? heroes kelly's oh. heroes yeah 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 i go i mean i go back to all these things the uh Joe, I mean, I I, I I followed your career. You better know I looked at Wolfman when I was doing Fright Night, about <laughs> 10 times trying to figure out the transitions. Or, you know, American Werewolf, John. You know, so, the, but I don't, it, it's one of the good things about Masters of Horror is it also keeps you current or younger because you're bringing in people like Flanagan, you know, and that's what you've done, Nick and you know so it, it's, it's a great it's just a great great thing and, and
4: axel as well you know axel you know, what what, axel what have you been looking at axel
8: well it's it's been 2020 i mean it's it's i wish i could say that i've spent all the time in lockdown watching a lot of stuff but the truth is i found it very difficult to focus on anything and so even watching movies and tv shows was difficult so i've re-watched a lot of stuff my comfort movies tend to be Hammer movies and, and you know, older stuff. But um, recently, a few nights ago, I rewatched Ghost Stories by Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson. Mm-hmm. And I it struck me again how great that movie is. I don't know if that's one that's been wildly seen here. Um, and I'm not sure it's streaming, but it's basically, it's kind of like an anthology of ghost stories that they directed. And it's it's brilliant. It's really, it, really nicely R- to put really it, together. Way, right? It's, what's that?
4: It was originally a play on stage, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
8: Yeah, But I got to see, actually. And it was great.
9: The great moment on stage in Ghost Stories, I saw it in Hammersmith and on the West End. And the great moment on that on stage, they didn't do in the movie, which made me crazy. Because, you know, Andy Nyman, he's a friend of mine, I went, why didn't you do that in the movie? (laughs) And he said... I thought it was theatrical, but there was a moment on stage where the night watchman goes into the place, this big area, and he has a torch, a flashlight. And so on stage, it's dark and it's lit by his flashlight. And he scans the room with it like that. He's upper stage, right. And he scans the room and on the back wall, You see the round, you know, the light, and it goes like this across the back of the room, and you just see a bunch of furniture and stuff stacked up and things like that. And then he goes back like that, and there, the camera, I mean, the camera, the light, this is on stage, passes this weird kind of Japanese no mask kind of, totally terrifying person thing and you don't know what the fuck it is you yeah. go back like this and then quickly goes like that and it's gone well wow. and it was scary as shit whole audience went ah like that it was a great moment in theater it was really scary and they did yeah.
8: He, yeah, I think that's... there's a variation of it with like a little girl, but I think that the movie's really well put together. I, all three stories are pretty scary. And then um, yeah, I watched Color Out of Space recently. I thought that oh, yeah. was awesome. That's on Shudder. It was really good.
5: Um, Shudder is and then,
8: and then I just got to watch all of Bly Manor, which was very exciting because my episode's a little bit different from the others, so I was not quite as, like I hadn't met all the cast and everybody, so it was great to discover that and
11: Mike, that was awesome. And Mike, I can't
8: wait to see your next yeah, you one as well, it. Mike.
11: That's, you I, it. Have you seen a dark song? What's that? A dark song. Have you seen a dark yes. song? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's amazing.
3: And Liam and Gavin directed two episodes of Bly also. Oh. Uh, from Dark Song.
11: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Amazing that, movie. I mean, that's what's great. That's what's been great about the streaming thing. Is that we're seeing some foreign stuff. We're seeing stuff from uh from Ireland, from overseas, that mainly that we wouldn't see otherwise, you know. And it's uh it's been pretty eye-opening some of the stuff that's out there. There's always talented people doing
9: horror and fantasy. I mean, I remember I was shooting something in Vancouver. It wasn't Masters of Horror, but Mick was also in Vancouver. We're staying at that. What was that hotel called? The Sutton Place.
7: Everybody oh, is in Vancouver been, all the yeah. time.
9: Anyway. I'm at, in Vancouver right now.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I told you. Yeah.
9: Yeah. Well, there's a movie theater across from the Sutton Place, big tribe, whatever it's called. And Mick said to me, as we passed each other in the lobby, what were you doing up there? I don't know.
4: I might've been doing an episode of Once Upon a Time or something.
9: There you yeah. go. And he said to me, Let's go see this new movie called. Uh oh, my brain. I'm old. What was the, you know, the Neil
4: descent? Called? The descent.
9: Let's go see this new movie, The Descent, that's black on the street. And I said, I hated the poster. And I said, Really? What, well, you know, monsters in a cave? He said, Really? Let's go see it. I said, Okay. So we go see it. One, I loved it. And two, the set that What got me weren't the monster stuff. What got me was the claustrophobia. Mm. It was a remarkable movie. And that was p- totally because Mick said, let's go see this movie. I also, Edgar Wright said to me one day, let's go see this movie. Oh, fuck. What's it called? You know, the... Uh, it must be awful it, to get old. It, it's terrible. We're <laughs> so young, you don't know. But it's, what's I'm it called on the house in the Woods. For the house in the woods. <laughs> it's the movie. Cabin in the Woods. What? Was it Cabin in the Woods? Cabin in the Woods. Is that the, the one where everything is controlled? It's yeah. manipulated. That's the one. Yeah, that's a good one. He said, let's go see Cabin in the Woods. And I said, Cabin in the Woods? That's a generic title. And we're watching it. <laughs> At the beginning, it's, it's you know, okay. And then I thought, God, this is clever. (laughs) I really enjoyed that movie. So there's always new discoveries in fantasy and horror. I was at a film festival in Strasbourg being given a Life Achievement Award with Ernest, if they offer you one, it's a mixed blessing. (laughs) Why, Why mixed? Because it's wonderful to get it. And it's also like they're saying, we can put you down now. (laughs)
10: <laughs> you know, it's,
9: you're it's, done yeah. yeah you're done You hear people giving these speeches And it's like attending your memorial Anyway <laughs> I was at this festival in Strasbourg And so is Mick And I saw this movie Oh god Oh yes Called The Man Who Killed Hitler And Then Killed Sasquatch The big <laughs>
7: oh, the Bigfoot
9: <laughs> Got everything covered I had to go see it because it was really good. (laughs) How was it? It's really, it's, I think it's on cable now. It's genuinely, it's Sam Elliott giving a truly great performance. Hmm. And it's not what you expect. Yeah. It's not what you expect. And it's about heroism and about brotherhood. And it's about courage. And it's about it's a it's totally about things that you don't expect. It is like who the fuck thought of this movie? John Sales produced it. Really well. There you go, yeah. John, I'll tell you, it's a good movie, and Sam Elliott is wonderful in it. Wow. Well, As begin he, to, to wrap up
2: uh, because unfortunately, even virtual festivals have uh, have schedules. Um, we can't thank you uh, enough for all of your time. Uh, are there any final thoughts, words about each other, words about Mick, uh, words about the times that we're in, uh, parting thoughts we can leave our viewing audience with from any of you?
7: No, oh, Mick is embarrassed
4: I'm, enough. Do, uh, <laughs> but I do want to thank you. I, I want to thank everybody. am
9: holding an ax?
4: This is the award. <laughs>
9: This is my award. Oh, that's your. I thought it was because you're next to Axel.
7: No, see, you never got one. You didn't. You didn't get oh, one of those, so you don't recognize. You don't oh, you recognize got Joe got one. Joe got
10: one. I have thank, one. thank, thank you to Mick. And I can't say anything because I have been very busy. But I can say, welcome to Halloween for real.
5: Oh Give yeah. You an
10: idea of what's coming up for Halloween that I've been working on. Uh-oh. God bless you. All. Oh thank God. you, Mick. I'm thank gonna you, leave God. and uh, you know take care of things here. John, Joe, Tom, all of you, Mike, Ernest, Ernest, Axel, Landon. Thank you very, very much. And everybody out there is watching. God bless. God bless her. Love all you guys. God bless her. Love all you guys. God bless
11: Mick and Garris. And God bless Mick Garris. I you.
9: A, where'd you go, Mick? Now you're Love there. You.
11: Yeah. I've made
9: some of the most successful comedies of all time, and because of Mick, the Gareth, second time you said that, I, but I'm telling you <laughs> why. Because of Mick Gareth, I'm now always referred to as a master of horror. <laughs> like what? The
11: fuck? Mick, thank you for everything, man.
7: Uh thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Mick. We're happy to do it.
4: Uh, Mick, I love you are you.
3: The, you are the greatest, Mick Garris. And you everyone all else mean, in this room, you guys are all my idols. Uh, I,
4: I'm you all to be mean able to be
3: in conversation with you. Uh, Mike, give
9: us jobs. <laughs> Joe and I are a bit.
4: <laughs> you all Thanks, mean guys. so much to me, truly. And you know, professionally and personally and all. And these friendships are things that I cherish. And they go back decades with most of you. And and I I couldn't be happier than to be judged by this group of friends. Say hi to Cynthia. Definitely. Yeah. My hat's yes. off to you. Thank you so much.
11: Michael. Rose sends her love. Rose sends her love.
4: Oh, thank you yeah. so
11: much. Oh, yeah. Bye, Tommy. Bye. Bye. Thanks Bye. for
4: organizing Bye. this. Hi, John.
11: Live. Bye,
2: Bye, Bye. Filmmaker and a kind friend. We're so pleased to have been able to do this for
4: you. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank Thanks, and good night, everybody. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, MickGarrisInterviews.com. Thanks for listening to
3: Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe
5: on iTunes.